Hello, this is the Ether Podcast, and this is uh, one of our, I think, our third Ether Talk. Uh, for those of you who usually listen to our podcast, this uh, podcast series exists outside of our regular series because we basically want to talk to people that are really excited about the Bible and excited about a Bible topic in general. And so we're inviting different people to come on our podcast, on our Ether Talk, and basically talk to us about something that they feel really excited about. Uh, something that they've learned recently or something they've known for a long time, but a biblical topic that they're super fired up about. And today we have the great privilege of having Steve LaFrance, an old, old friend of mine. I knew Steve when he was a college student, a very zealous and uh, really eager to to advance the kingdom college student, uh, maybe seven or eight years ago, time flies. And uh, Steve is now a youth minister in the One Miami Church in Miami, Florida. And he works both with college students and high school students. And he is joining us to talk about the kingdom of God. And uh, Steve, first of all, why don't you tell us why uh, you got into this topic and why you feel passionate about it? Yeah. um, Fired up to be on here with you, bro. Uh, I think... I went to Portland, so I was converted. I became a believer in 2008, and then three years later, I moved up to Portland. And when I was up there, I remember one of um, the guys who, who who I was living with at the time mentioned an author by the name of David Brousseau. And I, I, I read one of his books, um, I think The Kingdom Upside Down, The Kingdom That Turned the World Upside Down, something like that. And I started to listen to his audio lessons, and he did an audio lesson on the kingdom. And I just remember sitting there and saying to myself, why have I not heard this? I had been a believer for three years, Mm. and I did not hear this perspective. And it's like once he exposed that Jesus consistently spoke about the kingdom, I couldn't help but see it all around the gospel and even in the epistles. Not as much, but I saw it in the epistles. And... As I would continue to look into the, the topic, it fascinated me a great deal. And then someone else exposed me to a, uh, an author named N.T. Wright. And I listened to an audiobook called Simply Jesus. And I was just blown away. And since then, I've just been digging into it probably for the last six or seven years. I see. Uh, you do. I, I do think, um, interestingly enough, Steve, and I'm glad we're talking about this. I'm actually super excited we're talking about this because I feel like the kingdom of God is sort of one of those topics that I think as a Christian, you know they exist. Mm-hmm. But I think very few people actually take the time to really understand what it means. Mm-hmm. And sort of what the consequences of us being part of the kingdom is. And so uh, I know that you sort of wanted to start off. We're talking about like, what is the kingdom? So why don't Mm -hmm. you uh, give us some of that, Steve? Well, a shorthand is God's rule wherever he rules. So whether in the heavens or on the earth, it's where he rules. And it's led by him, the king. And he's established Jesus as the king through his sacrifice, and it's a, it's, his kingdom is the gospel. Like, in first century, when the Roman Empire would take over somewhere, they proclaimed kingdom for the, Ro- I mean, they proclaimed proclaim good news for the 
kingdom for the Roman Empire. Right. And the same way that Jesus brings his gospel and says king, it's good news for the kingdom of God, that his rule and his reign is being established. So the kingdom in shorthand is God's rule over everything. And so what does that mean for us, Steve? I think that's where it's tricky. I think what it historically had what it has, has what it has historically meant for Christianity as a whole, it, it, you get varying answers. But what it has what what it meant to the believers, I think, in the early part of Christianity was that they were citizens of a kingdom within a kingdom. Their allegiance was completely and utterly to Christ. I recently heard a speaker said that being a member of the kingdom would be the equivalent of us standing up and say, I pledge allegiance to Jesus Christ. Right, right, right. No, so that's subversive. Yes. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that, um, and I'll let you talk about this a little bit more, but I've also been in sort of this kick, and even on our regular podcast, we've talked about the kingdom many times. And I think one of the things um, is like you said, like once you start seeing it, you see it everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that because Christianity is mainstream, we do not understand how subversive this idea of the kingdom was while Jesus was alive and certainly like sure. even after. Because even in the book of Philippians, uh, and, I, and the only reason why this came to mind is because as a family group, as a small group, we're going through the book of Philippians. And in Philippians 2, Philippians 2, um, Paul ends Philippians 2 by saying that Jesus is Lord. Mm. But the word that he uses for Lord, the word that we translated for Lord, is literally, he uses a Greek word for, he uses the word Caesar. Mm-hmm. He's literally saying, Jesus is the Caesar. And specifically in the city of Philippi, there was a huge uh, sort of like cult to the Roman Empire. Like, it was a city that was all about Rome. Like, they literally worshipped Roman emperors. For sure. And for Paul to say that Jesus was that guy, like, he was the Roman emperor, it, literally, Steve, it was a crime. And so, Paul was being persecuted for preaching that, and basically, he's writing the letter to the Philippians because he knows that in living the Christian life, And in proclaiming that, they're going to suffer the same fate. Like, they're going to be persecuted. And and I think, you know, and and I know we'll get this into into this a little bit, and I want to save it towards the end of our our talk here. But I think think that really ought to give us a lot of pause, especially in, like, the supercharged political environment that we live now. Mm Mm-hmm of all this, like, making America great again and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of Christians that sort of, like, lost sight of the fact that we are supposed to be part of the kingdom. For sure. For and sure. so we'll, we'll get to that because I know, uh, you know, we talked about what, what you wanted to talk about, and I think that's a better place to talk about that is towards the end. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I do, and, and, you know, I think one of the things that I do want us to talk about is, like, from your perspective, like, what do you feel gets in the way of us really understanding the kingdom? Yeah. I, and you know, that's something I, but even to, just to backtrack a little bit, I, yeah. When Paul says that in Philippians, 
like outside of the Christian community, that was scandalous. Right. To say something like that. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure when the Christians read that, they felt the weight of that statement. I think in 2018, where Christianity is pretty much um, all around us, it, it's normal. You're like, oh, yeah, Jesus, Lord. But that's such a scandalous statement. It, it, again, so uh, the question is, what do I think gets in the way of that? I think I've been doing a, I'm, I'm one voice of many. But I think if I, if I, I was trying to really narrow it down for my own personal um building as a minister, I really want to see God's glory and see God's kingdom come in a powerful way. And I've realized probably if I had to narrow it down right now, probably church models or poor eschatology and misuse of resource has probably been our biggest challenge to bringing God's kingdom. All right. So elaborate on that a little bit. What do you mean? What do you mean by that? So I think we, um, after the great awakening and everyone's getting really inspired about following God and Billy Graham kind of comes to a prominent position and campus crusades and navigators and just the campus explosion of the sixties take place. You see a lot of young people really give themselves to God and give themselves to um, bringing about God's kingdom. You know, they, they, the, the phrase was coined Jesus freak really in that era. Right. And, right. but what ended up happening was, these young guys became older guys and they started to adopt kind of a success model of church where instead of desiring to see probably wholeheartedly what Christ wanted, it became more like, how do we get this church to be the most successful church it possibly can be? And for a lot of church leaders across denominations, it started to look more and more like a business. Gotcha. And when someone would t talk to these other um, church leaders or read their work and you say, how are, how's your church doing? Usually the first thing that a lot of these guys in their insider um, lingo, what they have in mind is how big is your group? Right. Like how much attendance? Yeah. What's yeah. the offering in your group? How large is your staff? So it kind of became something you boast about in terms of the growth of the church. And so I think that obsession, it, when it becomes that, when it becomes an obsession, is a huge roadblock to bringing about the kingdom of God. Mm. And you see it so much with Jesus that he was really serious about cultivating people into um, who he desired them to be, which was image bearers of God. Right. I think that success model doesn't really lend itself to that cultivation. It lends itself to more growth and more... Um, I, I don't want to patronize it because I think there's a lot of good people working behind those models, trying to bring about God's kingdom with more growth and, and, and less depth because right. you don't have time to make people deeper when you're really trying to broadcast your, your, your vision. So I think that's one particular challenge. I think on the other end of the church model is the faithful model. I use faithful in the sense of, an individual, sometimes you can get the personal piety, like um, different smaller, not, they're not small, but different groups like, um, like let's just say monks. They go off and they go and be in, in isolation and they practice their Christianity while not influencing the world. 
right, and, right, right. And, and they withdraw and they miss the point that the kingdom was supposed to have an influence all over this world. And so while some groups may not withdraw entirely, the way that they practice their faith is withdrawn. Yes. And so it's kind of done in un, under uh, it's a lamp hidden pretty much. Right. Well, let me let me ask you well, let me let's discuss this a little bit because I feel like this is this is something that I constantly think about, right? Mm-hmm. Uh cuz I I do think that there's sort of these two ends of the spectrum and I think this discussion is super interesting. And I think ultimately my north star for this and I'll get to it in a second. My North Star for this is uh, Jesus, right? For sure. Because I think you're totally right in that there's there are some churches that sort of uh, are very much concerned with the idea of how do we get as many people in here as possible. And I think on their way to that, they are hip and they're cool and, you know, like, like you. action. and But, but I do think... I, and I and I certainly uh, I certainly think that there's some merit to that, but I do mm-hmm. think that there's some compromise to that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And on the other hand, you have these people, as you said, that sort of have recluded from the world. Mm-hmm. And I think over the history of Christianity, this spectrum has existed in one way or another. For sure, you know that's, I mean? that's so a good like, insight. You have you the groups like Mennonites and. Uh, I think even uh, this guy, Brousseau, that you alluded to, like mm-hmm. I think he and, and sort of like his faith community sort of live very reclusive lives and like they don't mm. watch TV and all this other stuff, <laughs> and which is fine. Like I don't necessarily mm-hmm, think mm-hmm. that it's wrong, but I, I do think that this question of like, man, how do we bring the kingdom to people is such an important one. And to me, man, like I think – Somebody who really understood it, understood it and understood it well was a Jesus. And what you see with Jesus is sort of this uncorruptible man who brought the kingdom to people. Mm-hmm. And one of the big reproaches that the Pharisees had with Jesus is like, oh man, look at him. He's spending time with the sinners. Mm-hmm. Like he's eating with them. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that you see with Jesus was the fact that he, like, was with the people. Like, he For sure. He didn't, like, Jesus could have very well existed outside of society, outside of, like, the everyday life. But he was part of everyday life. And he mm-hmm. sort of, like, ate with people, spent time with people, went to parties, and all this other stuff. And at the same time... None of that compromised them. You know what I sure. mean? Like he was, sure. he was honorable and upstanding, no matter where you put him. But I do think that his mindset is that I'm bringing the kingdom wherever I go. Put me in any scenario, and I'm bringing the kingdom there. And I think in turn, that's very much the approach that Paul took mm-hmm. and even what he says in Corinthians is like, Hey, like I became, I became a slave. I became, uh, for those who, who are outside the law, I became as one outside the law for those who, uh, you know, Greek Jew, whatever, like I became that for the sake of the gospel. And it's almost like Paul lived this very versatile life 
that he was even willing to make himself a slave to reach out to the slave. And true. And again, I think you know, I don't know that you can look at, at Paul's life and say like, hey, like he he was sort of uh, corrupted in his beliefs or he was corrupted in his in the integrity of his character everywhere he went. Like even when he was in prison, he brought the kingdom with him. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that you see in the people in the Bible is, is sort of like, I think, a very good balance in sort of this, like, where do you fall on the spectrum? Like, are we like super cool and super hip and, and, and compromising or are we recluses and just like have removed ourselves from society? And I think the the balance is having this mindset of like, man, like put me anywhere and I'm bringing the kingdom with me. You know what I mean? Like, and obviously I, I do think that, you know, there's certain, um, I think, and I think this becomes a very personal thing. Like there are certain places that I've just, I've decided personally from a personal righteousness point of view that I'm just not going to go to X, Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But, but at the same time, like, man, like I need to be able to exist in as many different, uh, cultural, and societal scenarios and be able to bring the kingdom to any of those. For sure. For sure. I would totally, I, I, I agree hundred percent. I didn't know we were calling out denominations, man. Mennonites. But yeah, I think you, you hit the nail on the head that you see that Paul didn't plant churches. He made disciples. Right. And in those areas, churches became because all these individuals kind of had the mental framework to say, well, I'm here and I'm going to talk about my Lord in the midst of another empire and in the midst of another rule. So I would agree with that 100 percent. So, yeah. Uh, Another thing that you talked about is how like sort of like a poor eschatology can affect our view of the kingdom. Like, how do you think? What do you mean by that? Well, um, eschatology, things concerning the end, when the Lord comes back. Right. Uh, I think in our particular faith um, tradition, we have this song called the world, This World is Not Our Home, right. which I actually really like the song. I think it's a fired up song. However, I think we have to understand, at least in Revelation and, and um, Peter, it makes it very clear that there's a new heaven and a new earth. Right. And that God has not quit. He, he, he didn't quit on what he started, but he's going to refine it the same way he makes new people when they give themselves to, um, to Christ. And so this idea that the world is not our home makes us take a very hands-off approach. And what you're mentioning, wherever you are, bring the kingdom. Instead, it's like, well, this isn't home, so let me run. Right. Instead of engaging the culture and really making it... Um, Making a yield to the will of Christ. Now, I, I understand that someone would say, do you expect in this life that all the things that are supposed to happen in the next life are supposed to happen in this life? No, but there is a huge part of it where we're supposed to be a preview of the next life, right. where people see it and have a glimpse of what it looks like when God makes all things new. So I think on that end, in terms of the world not being our home, it's probably one of the more... Um, larger roadblocks and detours to bring in the kingdom of God. I think the other area in terms of eschatology has to deal with uh, Calvinism. 
Now, good old Calvinism. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, in certain circles, I've developed a reputation as being super anti-Calvinist. <laughs> and so <laughs> any of my buddies who hear this, they're like, here goes Steve on his rant. That's not what's happening here. Listen, Steve, if you're going <laughs> to rant about something, I think Calvinism is a good <laughs> I think it has its merits, but I think for as for as as uh, widespread as Calvinism is, and I'll let you get into your thing now because I also rail against Calvinism. Um, for as 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 much as good as it can carry, I think it also has developed very bad things. But carry on, carry on. So, yeah, and I and, and I would agree with that. I think if taken to its logical conclusion, it can be a barrier to the kingdom of God. I think the idea of total depravity, when you say there's no good in anyone or there's no good in anyone apart from Christ, you create an entire other system where they become a community. It's, it's us versus them over there. And so it prevents us from engaging with the LGBT community, engaging with Muslim community, engaging with um, white supremacists, engaging with um, gangsters. What we end up doing is, well, they're totally depraved. And so because of that, we don't engage. I think that's where if you teach that people are just wicked, instead of, man, you know what? Every person is made in the image of God. They may be morally inclined to do wrong, but everyone is made in the image of God and there's decency in everyone and everyone is worth redeeming. I think that plays a huge role. And then unconditional election, when you hear about these horrible things happening in communities and whatnot, it prevents us from really having a compassion to go serve because you're like, well, God's going to save the people he needs to save over there anyway. And they'll be okay when they go to heaven one day. Instead of being moved by compassion, like you, you mentioned Paul earlier, when Paul heard about the famine happening in Jerusalem, he didn't say, well, you know, they got heaven on the other side, he collected food, got the other churches around it, and went to go help them. And I think Calvinism doesn't lend itself to that because we it, it teaches a whole other world, and this one doesn't count. You, you believe the right doctrine, and so you're A-okay, forget this world, and just die and be in heaven. So it's a blessing that you die anyway, right. which I think is twisted at its at that level. I don't think most people get to that level, but some people do, and I think it's twisted at that point. Can I can I just add something to what you're sure. saying? Because I think I think you made a great point, especially about the total depravity. Because I think invariably, when we sort of look at the world as like everybody's bad, right? Mm-hmm. Invariably, what we do is that we create sort of the scale of like, okay, everybody's bad, but how bad? Mm. And you know what I mean? And it's almost, and, and I think what it creates, and I think it makes us forget something very important, is that God has the power to transform and redeem the worst person that you can think of. Absolutely. Absolutely. And can we say amen on this? Amen? Yes, no, absolutely. Because <laughs> I think... We make the mistake, right, of thinking like that the gospel 
is just for the people who fall on the lower scale of our bad scale. Mm. You know what I mean? So like, you know, the person that might be proud or the person that lies occasionally, like you're, you're nice suburban person. Mm. Like that's who the gospel is for. For sure. And we sort of lose sight of the fact that for example, like, dude, like Paul was a murderer. Like he killed people, man. Like he killed Christians and somehow that is who God chose yeah. to be his missionary to the Gentiles. Yeah. And we forget stuff like that. Like we forget that there's been like historically speaking, like people who were slave owners who became Christians and changed their lives. You know what I mean? For who, sure. Who like, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, Amazing Grace. Like one of the characters in that movie was, was an old slave trader who became a priest. And it's kind of mm. like, we forget that that God can bring those kind of people into his kingdom because we sort of make the scale of like everybody's bad, but invariably, because I think as instinctively that's really hard for us to accept, we then create this like, well, how bad? Like mm-hmm. here on the spectrum of bad, does somebody fall? And we think like, you know, those people that are like on the far bad, on the far end, on the strong end of bad, the gospel can reach those people. And you know, like, people that sort of like going to jails and literally like preach the gospel to murderers. Like I super admire those people. Cause I'm like, those people understand how far reaching the kingdom can be. Amen. Sure. In this, like in the worst environment that you can think of, the kingdom can exist there. And I think that's awesome. Yeah. And I think that that's the challenge, right? When the, the issue is, I think most people don't even realize they're operating at these assumptions of Calvinism. Right. Like they're, they're, that they're the underlying assumptions of why and how we practice our Christianity. Like in every example you gave, you talked about people going places. I think a lot of times we, we want to pull people into the Christian community where you clearly see Jesus. And, you know, to be cliche, he was the first missionary. He left the presence of God and came here. Right. And then he came here as a homeless man. Oh, well, he be, when he began his ministry, he became homeless. And he went into what probably was not the most encouraging part of the Judeo area. Um, that so much so that um, Philip was like, can anything good comes from Nazareth? You know, right. like he chose that area. <laughs> He's like, this will be home. Right. And, and that's where he started his ministry. And I think that says a lot about what he thought about that community. I don't know exactly, maybe you know, I don't know exactly what the reputation of Nazareth was at that time, but the fact that he said that, I can only think of certain areas, but it's because of collegiate loyalty that I would say something like that. So I'm a Hurricane fan. I feel that way about Tallahassee (laughs) and Gainesville, but it's not because of the people there. Right. It's because of those teams. So I I don't know what exactly Philip had in mind when he said that, but, um, Jesus, Jesus, like you mentioned, he, he went places. And I think that's in, incredible. I think the other thing I was going to mention about um, Calvinism deals with the limited atonement. I think sometimes, and, we've, you, and, and I know you've probably heard this as well, you can't save everybody. But then in the same breath, if you're working under a success model, we want to min- win as many people as possible. Right. And so limited atonement, you can't save everybody. You want to win as many people as possible. Where it seems to draw the line is 
what you mentioned earlier is it, 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 the line is drawn usually around economic status and social status. Economic status in the sense of, well, there's a whole bunch of um, low-income people. We can't save them all. Or social status, there's a whole bunch of crazy people and we can't save them all. But right. we always have enough grace for the middle class. Right. <laughs> like, there, heaven is big enough for the middle class. It's the lower class and maybe the upper class who can't get in. And that's such a distortion of what Jesus taught. And I think limited atonement affects how we view that. Again, it's an underlying assumption that needs to be brought to the light. And lastly, the perseverance of the saints is when people are in horrible situations, they're like, well, at least you got heaven. That, that wasn't Jesus' response to uh, the woman who suffered bleeding for those number of years. That wasn't right. Peter and John's response at the guy at the gate of beautiful when he had been paralyzed. Like that's just, you miss the compassion of Christ when that's your response and you miss an opportunity to bring about God's kingdom. But I think when we say, well, they're saved and then therefore we don't need to do anything with them. We miss the gospel entirely and we don't end up being, um, the sheep that Jesus talks about in Matthew 25. Right. Yeah. Like we don't, we don't search for those people. Yeah. And then I think the last thing in terms of our eschatology is the penal model of substitution, the, the, the penal model of atonement, which essentially at its core is the um, judge based model of atonement where Christ is substituted for us. He, he takes our place. That model is certainly there and it's really prevalent in the book of Romans. But I think there are a number of other models that the gospel writers use metaphors to talk about the atonement and what took place there. But since Martin Luther till now, that has been, and he's kind of one of the founders of the Protestant movement, that has been the primary mode in which to talk about the atonement of Christ. And I think that impacts us bringing a kingdom because we have that substitutionary model in our mind when we want to switch with people like, okay. So in order for us to bring the gospel, we want to start off in the most wealthiest affluent city. And so we sacrifice the horrible cities mm. in order for us to, um, impact the, the college campuses, we go to the largest one. And I get, and I get the understanding behind the thinking, but the, there has to be a way, and you see it in Jesus, where we can navigate those tensions well, because what ends up happening is we go to the most affluent places and we seldomly leave. We go to the biggest college and we seldomly leave. We stay there because we decided to sacrifice the others instead of what you see in Jesus, he willingly gave himself as a sacrifice. Right. And sometimes we have people who are in powerful, strong situations and who are men and women of impact say, I won't go to the rough community. I won't go here. I won't go there because they're operating. Well, that's the sacrifice that needs to be made instead of seeing like Christ became less so we could become more. Right. And John Baptist flipped that on us too. He said he became less so Christ could become more. And I think that needs to be our, our, our spirit as well. If that makes sense. Yes, no, absolutely. Uh, you I know, think those areas affect. Yeah. It's, and speaking of John the Baptist, like I feel like that he was another guy that really understood what the kingdom was supposed to be. You know what I mean? And I do think um, 
But this whole idea of like, I think ultimately, this, this is my biggest thing. I feel like ultimately we put so many boundaries on the kingdom. Mm. And I think that's many of the th things that you, you, you've talked about up until now uh, are sort of like all the fences that we put around the kingdom. Mm -hmm. And we don't really allow it to go to the places where it needs to go. And, and, and I say that understanding that ultimately the kingdom is God's and he's going to take it wherever he well pleases. Yeah. But I, I do think, and again, I don't think that we think about this enough, Steve, the fact that God has chosen to make us partners in the advancing of his kingdom, I think is both super encouraging. Amen. And super challenging at the same time. I 100% agree. In, in, his, in his wisdom or what seemingly may seem like his lack of wisdom, God has chosen to make us partners in this cause that he mm. wants his kingdom to ultimately invade this, like everything that surrounds us. He wants the kingdom to ultimately overtake it, right? And mm -hmm. the idea that he's chosen to like make us be part of that is both a great privilege and super scary. And I think because we don't think about that enough, like we just put the kingdom in a box and we don't let it go to all the places that it needs to go. And we certainly don't bring it with us in all the places that we go. For sure. Like, I think we have this horrible habit of like, well, when I go to work, the kingdom isn't there when in reality the kingdom is there because you're there amen the kingdom of god exists in your workplace because you're there and i think again like that is not part of, of a lot of our mindsets yeah and i think to go back to either the success model or um the reclusive crew i like that word reclusive um I think with the success model, you sit back and instead of being like, I am the kingdom on the basketball court, you say, come to this particular address and see the kingdom. Right. With the reclusive crew, you're, you're not even on the basketball court because some of the sin might infect you. Right. And, and, and so you're right in the sense of really prioritizing and making it your, making it our point to equip the saints to be able to bring the kingdom wherever they are. And that where we gather on Sunday is just one aspect of the seven day week life of the kingdom. Right. As opposed to it's the pinnacle and the highlight of the seven day week. Like you mentioned, if all believers, which Paul says in Corinthians, which um, Jesus really points to all believers are the temple of God's Holy spirit in us where his presence, um, where his presence ruled, then everywhere we go is the kingdom for sure. And that is, like you said, that's that's like the most encouraging and fired up thing in the entire world that we get to partner up with God. And it's also the most overwhelming and daunting task in the entire world as well. Yes. It can it can make you, it, it can paralyze you with like, wow, such an incredible task has been entrusted to me. Right. But this is um, why Paul says, you know, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. On the one hand, he's like, I'll do it free of charge because this is what I'm called to do. But And if I don't do it, I, I feel a, a burden not doing it. Right. 
And so I think all believers should live in that tension of when I'm not bringing a kingdom, Jesus says, this is my food to do the work of the father. All of us in America know for a fact when we gone one day without eating. Right. It's, it's evident. And if we went two days without eating and all we had was three strings of noodle, we would be kicked <laughs> off. Right. You wouldn't be happy. But I think sometimes when it comes to doing the will of God and knowing who God is and being close to God, we, we, we settle for a malnourished diet of the presence of God. Right. And, 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 I, and I purposely stayed away from saying just Bible reading because I think we, we've limited that scope simply to that. I think it's, it's more robust and it's more full than that. But I think if we have a robust and full diet of what God is calling us to, we will never thirst and never be hungry, kind of like what um, John alludes to. Uh, one of the things also that you mentioned is sort of uh, uh, our misuse of resources. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you what do you mean by that, Steve? Elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah, I think God has really allowed us to be in certain platforms. Some of us work in incredible jobs. And, and what I mean by incredible jobs, I'm not talking about simply jobs of prestige, whether you're a janitor, whether you're a politician, you work in a way that you can actually affect change for those on the margin and for the people around you. But instead, we, we don't have, at least in the material that's out there that I, I've been looking for, we don't have too much um, solid biblical work on what does a Christian in the workplace look like. Mm. We, we narrow the scope to just don't curse and sleep with the office people. Right. <laughs> I think that that's such a that's such a limited scope. Right. Instead of being a man or a woman of influence, like you, you, you take um Joseph in Genesis, he saves an entire nation because of his role. Right. You take um Daniel and he was used powerfully in his role. And you, you know, Nehemiah, I don't, I don't know what role a cupbearer would be in our, I think that would be like a cabinet member in sure, the presidential no. staff today. Yeah. But he used that role to help his people. And I think there are a number of roles that we have, whether you work as a city, um, city employee for, um, the local, um, government or whether you're a teacher that you can really change things and bring about God's honor and glory in a powerful way. Mm. But I think we don't train and equip people to bring about God's kingdom in that way. We think bringing about God's kingdom is just be holy instead of like, wow, this is a platform. And if, and when someone asks you, why are you after this? be like, I want to put this, I want to help my environment become a place where God's rule is evident. Now, maybe you don't phrase it like that. And they're like, you're right. a weird Christian. That would be very weird. <laughs> But I think in those environments, when those things start to happen, people want to hear about the Lord that you're serving, that you're trying to create an environment in which he would be a part of. So I think that's one area in the workplace. And I think the other area where we can misuse is local government. Now, I, I'm not talking about being Republican or being Democrat. What I'm speaking about is being able to use our, our voice that this country has has written in its laws to help people. I think there, there are a number of things happening on a local level, like 
I recently was told in an email that they want to build a park for one of the inner city communities. And, and I'm like, I, I should vote for that. Right. If it gives the kids an opportunity to play at a park and not do the other things that they could get themselves into, right. then there's no reason why I shouldn't be behind that. Mm. I should I, I should be eager to be a part of that. I think our communities, at least here in Miami, are trying to figure out, okay, how do we make sure that certain parts of our community are being able to have after-school programs at a very low cost for people who are trying to educate their children? Right. But I think too many Christians don't even know what's going on in their local government because you're either in the attractional model where it's like, it's not about what's going on in your city, bring them to church, or you're in the faithful model, the reclusive model where you're like, I don't care, the world the world is going to burn up anyway. Right, I'm not going to engage with government at all. To not be involved in politics is political in and of itself. And I think lastly, in terms of um, misuse of resource, is we don't use community well. Like there are other churches who are really strong in certain areas, especially in um, benevolent work that we should partner up with. But I think too many churches do not um, cross over the denominational line to love people. Right. Like for Jesus to tell um, John and James that they heard John and James told Jesus they heard someone was casting out demons and either like they're doing it in your name, Lord, but they're not with us. Jesus said, I think it's probably the most profound thing. If they're not against us, then they're with us. Right. Just let them do it. Right. Let them do it. And I think if he didn't call John and James specifically to be with him, I think he probably would encourage him. You should join them in that endeavor. And, and so I think we need to really, there, there are some incredible people who, who are generating a lot of ideas and thoughts behind making our communities safer and I'm stronger and as believers, we need to engage with them. But I think too often the church has an all or nothing kind of approach. Right. And they all or nothing being like, if you're not going to come under our leadership, we won't partner up. With we won't you. do it. Right. And that's, that, that, that's arrogant and that's destructive to bringing about the kingdom of God. Right. You, we have no clue how God can work, but it takes a lot of humility. So that's a huge roadblock. And then working well, with other churches. I, I've, I recently been looking more and more into the parable of the Good Samaritan. And one of the things on top of probably all the different lessons people have given on it, one of the things that has stood out to me was the Samaritan's ability to leave the social norms, to leave his in-group to go help someone else. Right. And we, we oftentimes, down, down the religious people, but they are functioning within a system that prevents them to be compassionate. What a Samaritan was able to get out of his system and give to this person and help this person. I think a lot of times that's part of bringing a kingdom when even our system doesn't necessarily promote the kingdom. Right. We step out of our system and, and do it and imitate Christ and say, go do likewise. You know what I mean? But I think, that's challenging when um, you're on the right team. And I, and I use that sarcastically. When you're on the right team and the right team isn't doing the right thing, you just feel handicapped. Right. But that's part of the reason why the kingdom is Jesus Lord and not whatever um, local congregation or denominational line we belong to. Right. But yeah, it's, I think 
there, there are more stories of um, churches not doing anything than doing something in those situations. And I think a big part of it is the humility to sit back and say, we don't need to be the initiators. We just need to help. Right. Like, can you imagine if Jesus posture was like, I'm not going to take any of the guys that John had got fired up for my ministry. I want to start my own ministry. John, keep your guys. Right, right, right. Then we don't have Andrew who reaches out to Peter. You know, like that, that wasn't Jesus, even his heart. He's like, right. I will build on top of what John already started. And um, you need to have that same mentality. Yep. Um, I did want to have this conversation because I think it's an important conversation to have, Steve, and I think it's very um, befitting what we're talking about, which is this whole idea of uh, Christianity and politics. Mm-hmm. And I know that you were going to bring it up, but I wanna, wanted to preemptively bring it up because I, I, mm-hmm. do think, I do think that given what we're talking about, it's an important conversation, especially given our current political environment. I have this opinion and I'm open to being wrong about it. And uh-huh. I want to see what you think. All right. Uh-huh. Um, because we we live in a we're living through a very politically charged environment. So much so that I think that that's really sipped into the into the church. Uh-huh. And and I think the bottom line with me is this: the idea that there is a political party that captures the values of Christianity is ridiculous because ultimately when you're talking about Christianity, you're talking about the values of the kingdom, Mm -hmm. right? Like that's what we're talking about in the kingdom of God. God is the King and he is the one that determines what is moral in that kingdom. Uh-huh. And so my question would be this is like, how can somebody, how can something that is so the picture of man made uh-huh. as is a political party completely embody something that is not of this world? Uh-huh. And if anything, I think that especially right now, I feel like partisanship is not helping our cause because I think I think right now people are taking sides because they feel that it helps Christianity one way or the other. Uh-huh. And what I would tell you is that by being partisan, you're not helping Christianity. You're hurting it. Uh-huh. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have political leanings. Uh-huh. But what I am saying is that we shouldn't have staunch political leanings because ultimately – we're not our allegiance shouldn't be to a political party it should be to the kingdom i I, but i I think to to speak about the kingdom and politics i think that's that's tricky because we're in a day and age where politics sometimes dictate more than christ does right and dictates more than um anything else and it really dictates whether you see churches of genuine diversity because they're, they're like, I don't want to be in a church that's blue. I don't want to be in a church that's red. And I think that is just so unfortunate that yeah. the blood of Christ can't unite us, even if we have different ideologies about um, 
how the country ought to be ran. But yeah, politics is tricky because I feel strongly about my devotion to the kingdom, strongly about my devotion to Christ's bride, the church. I don't feel as strongly about some of the political rhetoric out there. And, and to be honest with you, I get on Facebook and, and as they're going back and forth, I'm just like, I don't even write well enough to enter that discussion. You know, I'm going right. to put a comment here and then instead of putting the comment in the right place, I, I end up saying things that I didn't, didn't actually mean. But I would agree with you if any Christian was saying that he's God's guy and he's the guy that we ought to be backing. I, I I would I would raise questions about why do you feel that way and is it based off morals? Because if it's based off morals, then we we ought to abandon this conversation right now. Right. And so, but in terms of the direction of the country, I think all Christians, if we're really serious about bringing the kingdom, we need to be able to bring it in such a way that there's no marriage with conservative ideologies because I do think make America great if you adopt that wholesale as well, antithetical to the gospel yeah or progressive ones yeah on the other end of the spectrum too yeah right. if you go um, completely left that's anti antithetical to the gospel like it it doesn't work well and I think that's that's my my major point Steve is I feel like as as I observe the political doctrines right on either side mm-hmm. And as I observe um, the Bible, mm-hmm. again, there's no side that mm-hmm. captures the entirety of the None. gospel. There's no side yeah, that captures I agree. the entirety of what the Bible teaches. You know what I, I mean? Agree. And and again, I think when we pick a side, right? I think many people do so thinking that it's helping their Christianity. And what I'm saying is that it doesn't, is that it hurts it. Now, do you legitimately think people, now, now maybe I'm a little naive. Do you legitimately people, legitimately think people think voting a political party is helping their Christianity? Yes. I think, wow. especially now, uh, and, and dude, you, I think you see it in a, in a lot of the, the, uh, the rhetoric. I think, I think, People think of it in terms of like, this is either going to help Christianity or it's going to hurt it, which, which again, I think is another, uh, like, a, for example, a lot of the reasons why people cited that the Christians that they ended up voting for Trump is because he was in many ways for religious liberty. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and see my, and my issue with that is this again. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, my issue with that is this. I'm all for religious liberty, and I'm mm-hmm. grateful. Dude, I'm super grateful that I live in a country in which I can express my faith. Mm-hmm. Right? That that particular uh, exercise doesn't get me in any kind of legal trouble. Mm-hmm. I love that. I enjoy mm-hmm. that. The fact that I can make a podcast about Christian topics and make videos about Christian topics and it not get me in any kind of jail... I love and enjoy that freedom to the point that that's what I do for a living. Mm -hmm. All right. I'm all, dude, I'm all for that. 
However, right? Uh, I am not um, willing to compromise my my Christian values for the sake of keeping that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And what I mean by that is this. Again, going back, and I, and I hope that this is not coming across as like me bashing Donald Trump because at the end of the day, I don't really care. I mean, I do. I do. I, know I, what you do, mean. I care about this topic <laughs> as it pertains people's walk with God. Mm-hmm. I don't care about this topic as it pertains uh, politics. Mm-hmm. All right, so I'm not I'm not trying to make a political statement here, mm-hmm. and I, hopefully I clarify that by by what I'm about to say. Um, the Bible teaches me about honesty, mm-hmm. and the Bible teaches me about humility, mm-hmm. and the Bible teaches me about sexual purity mm-hmm. and faithfulness to my wife. Mm-hmm. The Bible teaches me about all of those things, mm-hmm. right? The Bible, and it, the Bible calls me to to marry my life to those values. Mm-hmm. To, to my the Bible calls me to to marry my life to honesty, and to faithfulness, and to sexual purity, and to all of those things. It calls mm-hmm. me to do that. The Bible, in no way cause me to marry religious freedom. Good point. Right? Religious mm-hmm. freedom is a political doctrine. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, one of the things that we see in the Bible, spe- specifically as it pertains to Christianity, is that the Bible throve in an environment that was completely hostile to it. Sure. And if history is taught of something is that the Christianity can thrive in an environment that is hostile to it. True. Right? So in as far as as the what I'm going to give up for my religious freedom, I can't think of anything. I can't think uh. of anything that biblically calls me to uh to give up anything for the sake of religious freedom. Right? Yeah. There's plenty of examples. Joseph, right, went to jail for the sake of his sexual purity. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. People in the Bible died for the sake of Christ's name. You know what I mean? Yeah, good point. Dude, I I have in in uh in many ways and I know a lot of a lot of people who have held their careers back for the sake of honesty, for the sake of humility, right? Because the Bible calls us to live up to those things. Amen. And again, I'm not saying that there's no value to religious freedom. I enjoy it, and I'm so grateful, again, that I live in a country in which I can express the entirety and the, the full spectrum of my Christianity. Mm-hmm. Right, I'm grateful, man. I enjoy it. I'm I'm totally for it. And if and if there's anything that I can do to fight for that, I will. Up until I'm not gonna go to war for it, is what I'm saying. 
No compromise. Because the Bible Amen. calls me to not kill others. Yeah. To turn the other cheek. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's that's not a hill that even spiritually I'm willing to die for, because for as much as it's 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 a value that I enjoy, at the end of the day, it's not a biblical one. Mm-hmm. And see, that's ultimately what I'm talking about. Like I feel like we're making a lot of these political values into Christian ones when they're not. Yeah, I think ultimately that's what's hurting us the most. I think you bring up some really good points. And um, especially the point about like, you know, religious freedom is not a teaching of Christ. You know, I think that's, that's big. That's huge. And yeah, I definitely would second what you said in terms of, I'm not a, I, I, I'm not trying to make any political statement in so far as, Jesus Lord. Right. I mean it to be as subversive as it was in the first century. Right. Um, but it, it's, it's interesting because I think you, you've really been able, even in the, like the short three minutes of that description of what you were talking about, you've really been able to develop some really good thoughts that I think um, would be good for you to use on this platform. That, and that's part of what, I didn't talk about it here, but part of misusing our resources, like I think your podcast, if you were to do a podcast just on your thoughts about Christians and politics, I think that's an incredible platform to inform ourselves of what God's expectation is, because I think um, enough Christians don't think about it. And I'm in, I'm in blue land, right? In Miami. Everyone I hang around with is blue. I got some really good conservative friends, but for whatever reason, we don't talk about politics. But everyone I hang around is blue. <laughs> so you're able to sharpen your dialogue because you have close friends in both parties. Right. And so I'm like, I'm not in dialogue. I'm more or less the people who are not happy with the current powers that be. And I'm just encouraging them that, you know, our battle isn't against flesh and blood. It's bigger than that. It's not the conservative is the spiritual realm, but you're in a unique situation where you're in dialogue with both. And I think um, that platform furthers the kingdom. If you could put that out there and people can eat it and digest it, they'll be able to continue to further the kingdom, which I just, even the three minutes, I was like, wow, that was such meaty stuff right there. Mm. Well, thank you. Thank you, Steve. This has been really good. Yeah. I feel very good about our conversation. Is there anything else that you wanted to add? I know that, you know, here's the thing, Steve. I feel like we've talked about a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't know that, that uh, you have any uh, solutions. I, I throw some out there and we'll see. I mean, these are solutions I personally am working on, but I think um, instead of the successful or faithful model, we should go fruitful. Mm. Basically, an emphasis on Christ being formed in every individual. We gauge the health of a church by members becoming more and more like Christ. Like Christ. And the, the, the first question is, well, how do you do that? From the successful model, you can't do that because you're not called to be in a community, really. You're called to build an empire. And in the faithful model, you're like, well, we're doing that, but part of Christ's work was outside of the house. Right. Outside of, and so I think we can gauge it when we develop stronger community. And it doesn't necessarily need to be only one person, but a group of people 
making sure crisis communities are being formed, that crisis-like communities are being formed. So I think that's one potential solution. I think what you just mentioned about politics, we need to be willing to listen to critiques because I think some of our critiques are opportunities as opposed to let's get all defensive when someone says Christians don't do this or Christians don't do that. It's an opportunity to um, show our repentance and show our growth spiritually. So I think Christians need to adopt more of the posture of I'm willing to listen to critiques. I may not take full responsibility for things I've had zero. Like, I had nothing to do with the Inquisition. Nothing. Like, on every level. I don't even know the full depths of the Inquisition quite yet, but I know <laughs> I had nothing to do with that. And if I were there, and I understood what I understood now about Jesus, I would be opposed to that sort of right. Right, right, ideology. Right. But I think we can still listen to critiques without having to feel like we're, we're, we're owning things that we don't feel we should. And I think within our faith tradition, at least, we need to lift up communities that are being like Christ. I think we have a language of lifting up communities that are growing, but I can't can't remember the last time I heard someone say, like, that's just a healthy Christ-like community. Mm. Like, that you want to see a healthy Christ-like community, go over there. Right. We usually point people, and I'm guilty of it too, we usually point people to growing communities. I do think becoming more like Christ, it will also be a growing community. Right, right. I'm not saying that they're in opposition to one another, but I'm just saying let the first thing we talk about be the fact that they're more like Christ. Dude, that would be awesome. And lastly, I think we kind of need to blur the the denominational lines. Mm. Like, we can learn so much from our Mennonite brothers in the area of purity, in the area of Holiness. being set apart. Right. We can learn so much from our evangelical brothers about how to equip people for gospel presentation. We can learn a great deal, even, for, even from our Pentecostal brothers, on how, how to have a mysticism in your Christianity, where you feel the presence of God and you understand and you feel a deep conviction. I think if we blur some of those lines, we don't need to wholesale adopt different ideologies. Right. But if we would be willing to hear, we can add to our Christianity and make it robust. But I think um, even even within the, the Catholic Church, you know, like, man, the Catholic Church, the nonprofit work that they've done throughout the ages. Right. It's epic. It's not just like one season. This is like throughout the ages. They've been at the forefront forefront of hospitals, orphans, and, 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 and I get it. No, none of those situations were perfect, but at least they're doing something. Right. And so I think that those would be some potential solutions to us to bring about God's kingdom. Well, those could be very good solutions, Steve. I, you know, I particularly enjoy your, your point about like how even the things that we admire, you know what I mean? Like an admiring, I guess for the right reason would be maybe the best way to put it. I do think, that ultimately this conversation um, being about the kingdom is it boils down to like, how do we, how do we spread the kingdom more and more? And I think that that does have a lot to do with how we measure things, what we admire, what we're trying to pursue and what we ultimately care about, man. Like, and I feel like uh, maybe the best way to sort of close this whole discussion, especially since we talked about politics you know, is, is when Jesus says that 
you know, do not worry about what you're going to wear or what you're going to eat or what's going to happen tomorrow is like, you know, seek the kingdom first. Mm -hmm. And I think that ultimately that's how we need to live our lives, man. Like there's a lot of things that from the perspective of the kingdom at the end of the day, don't matter. Mm -hmm. And we have to pursue the kingdom and God will take care of the rest. And I think, um, Ultimately, this is a big part of all this is is faith, and uh-huh. I think we have to have a strong one, no matter what it is that we end up pursuing. And um, and yeah, man, like um, again, I really want to thank you for being on. I think this has been a great talk, and uh, hopefully, is one that people are going to really enjoy and really consider. Come on. And hopefully, we're giving people a lot to think about. And uh, so, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we do want to remind you that this is a, a trial-funded effort. If you want to support what we do. Uh, you can uh, do so by going to patreon.com forward slash ethermnc and uh, you can also get in touch with us uh, on any social media platform except Snapchat at ethermnc and uh, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and uh, if you have any thoughts on this please uh, make sure to contact us and again thank you so much for listening and we'll see you on the next one